0: Welcome to CFRC 101.9 FM and Cellar Door Project's Shortwave Theatre Festival Talkback series with your host, Mariah Horner, the Shortwave Festival Director.
1: In this fun, informative series, you'll have the opportunity to follow Mariah as she gets the scoop on the -the behind-the-scenes process of making radio theatre with the artists that have made each Shortwave Theatre Festival play possible. Thank you for joining us today, and don't forget to visit
0: shortwavetheatre.com to learn more about our amazing plays and artists, and stay locked into 101.9 FM for the next performance happening all week long.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of our Talkback series for the Cellar Door Project and CFRC Shortwave Theatre Festival. This has been a week of radio drama, all on CFRC 101.9 FM. And we are lucky today to be joined by some of the artists from A Strong Girl. So we have playwright Risha Andrade, director Maddie Scoville, and Enser Moriarty, who is the sound designer. So thank you all for joining us. As is the norm, we are doing this interview uh, weirdly on Zoom. So maybe you'll hear one of our cats. Maybe we'll have like internet beep boop. It's just, the way, it's just the way cookie crumbles these days. So we'll start with introductions, and we'll start with Risha. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your relationship to theatre, to radio, and to Kingston?
1: Yeah, um, so I'm a lesbian poet. My name is Risha Andrade, uh, lesbian poet and street artist, currently living in Toronto, uh, but I did spend the last seven-ish years in Kingston. It's really my favourite city in the world. Uh, I've, I've been working in theatre uh, since since university, and a uh, good chunk of that being exploring
2: radio theater uh, or radio
1: drama within that bubble.
2: That's awesome. So were you on this radio theater train before we caught you? Hell yeah. Hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. So no. what were you, cause I know that you did some work in arts admin as well. You were exploring radio. Yeah, theaters.
1: so I, um, I actually really got into radio theater with um, Expect Theater's Play Me podcast. They're now partnered with the CBC and they do fantastic work um with converting contemporary canadian audio drama into or contemporary canadian drama into audio drama podcasts and uh and there's a lot of great work being done uh, internationally overseas in in england uh, as well and uh, i think we're we're coming into a moment for radio drama and uh, i've been interested in it since my undergrad
2: Yes, heck yes, I'm here for it. So how about you, Maddie? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your relationship to theatre, to Kingston, to radio? Yeah, um, so I spent uh, the last like
3: seven, eight years in Kingston, um, initially at Queen's University studying theatre and French and education And after that, I just stuck around um, and did a lot of local theatre stuff as an actor and as a director and occasionally artistic directing in there. And um, yeah, now now I am living in Montreal and attending the National Theatre School for Acting.
2: Heck yes. And you also do some or did some work uh, in Kingston with the library. And I know you've done a lot of really awesome programming and work for youth in town. So, yeah, I like that. <laughs> oh, that's great. So how are you, Enzer? Radio, have you done radio theater before? Have you done theater before? Who are you? Tell us more.
0: Um, all right. So hi, I'm Enzer. Um, this was my first introduction to uh, radio drama. Um I have done some uh, like live theater in the past. I've been an actor. I was in pit band in high school. Um, but yeah, it was my first time actually doing like the side, the sound design aspect of it. So it was uh, interesting approaching it from that end. And uh, I, I learned a lot throughout, um,
2: yeah. So if you were pit band, it means you're also a musician. Am I just learning this right now? What do you plan?
0: <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, so right now I'm uh, really into the the jaw harp. Um, that's my instrument of choice right now. Uh, I can give you a little sample in a minute. But, um, I mean, you
2: can't say jaw harp and sample and us not want a said <laughs> sample of jaw harp.
0: Okay, well, I'll just get right into it then, I guess. <laughs>
2: Yes. So that is the jaw harp from Enser Moriarty here.
0: That's more of the world I'm more used to. Every time I've done sound design, it's always been for music. I also play tuba, but um, it was really cool getting a chance to kind of ground what I've learned in like music design and put it in like a real world space.
2: Very awesome. So then I'm curious with all three of you, you know, varying degrees of familiarity with radio theater, I'm curious about, you know, why, why this show, Rye Radio Theater. So Risha, when we, uh, you know, opened up the call for the festival, what was it about this festival that drew you in? What did you want to explore um, about A Strong Girl through radio?
1: Um, this show was always written to be a radio drama. It wasn't, it wasn't an, an adapted stage play. I think that's something that, I was very excited about was was writing something to be a radio drama as opposed to taking something that was supposed to live somewhere else and fighting her into your earlobes. Um, I think that the show itself explores intimacy between women and being on the radio or, or being an audio drama allows them to be voices, which means that they don't have to be bodies. They can be women's voices without having to be women's bodies and trust me like i love women's bodies like (laughs) but uh the depth of intimacy in women loving women relationships goes much deeper than the physical and we we do make love with our words we make love with our voices Uh, i think there's a tongue joke in there somewhere but i won't make that Uh, i suppose the radio drama genre lends itself really well to that complexity of lesbian relationships um there's there's no better way to stage the whispering of sweet nothings into someone's ear than to literally put it into people's ears through their earphones.
2: <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. And like, I'm curious, maybe we'll unpack that. I don't know. I want to talk about it a little bit now, this difference between uh, women as women's voices and women's bodies and how why did that kind of question serve specifically a strong girl? Cause I'm, you know, I'm curious, you, you're like me, you're a history net, right? So I'm curious about women's voices in history. Why, why this play for that question?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think that the show is, it's about not, it begins with the, the, gruesome fact that women are their bodies and then immediately disregards that and plunges into the fact that women actually exist beyond um, beyond being a body and that those those things don't line up for um, for women today. I can only speak to my experience today. I haven't lived in the 1800s where the play is set. Um, but the, the the experience of womanhood was always a very material is necessarily a material thing. It's the experience of dresses and laundry and babies and nipples and mud, and that experience is something that has categorized this sort of compartmentalization of humanhood as woman, whereas the experience of being a woman I have had experience doing that uh, is far beyond the material. And I identify it as something that exists in language and in thought and in the thoughts that I am able to articulate out of my body and exist in the air in front of me, as opposed to being grounded in my flesh.
2: Ah, that's so beautiful my God. And I mean, yeah, Risha. Yes, it is. I mean, you're listening to us, so nobody can see the amazing face that Risha is making right now. But one of the things I love about this play is the material. Like I can remember you and I having a conversation very early about like, what's more yonic? raspberries or strawberries? Yonik, Yonick? I think it's uh, Yonick. Yeah. What's more Yonick, raspberries or strawberries? Like the experience, like not only I think this idea of women and women's bodies, but the materiality of this whole world that you create. And, you know, this is hands off to Ensor and Maddie too for worlds building, you can touch, you can touch the world in this play through the work that you guys have done. You know, sounds of walking and movement and kitchens and dresses and wind. I really can t- like taste that. Um, so very interesting. Uh, Maddie, anything about you? So why, why, you know, the call came out for shortwave, you answered the call. Why did you do that? Uh, well, um, I've worked with
3: radio theater just the one time before with CFRC and their production of War of the Worlds. Um, and in that case, I was acting. Um, so when I, when I saw the post for this, um, and the opportunity to direct—that um, was just a whole other side of this process that I was incredibly curious about and um, intrigued by. Uh, so that was really exciting for me. Um, and then when it came time for seeing the the different productions we might be working on and reading Risha's piece and everything, and it was just so beautifully done. And and there's so much material there for really rich storytelling um I just knew it was going to make my job really easy so (laughs) I jumped
2: on board that's how I felt like Richa submitted the script and I was like well this is going to make my job very easy to make a very awesome festival I'm so proud of the inclusion of this this piece in this festival it's exactly what I imagined uh, the festival could do was tell stories like this and explore questions like this that you're both talking about. Like, you know, Risha, you already talked a little bit about intimacy, but one of the other questions that we talked about early in the process was about sex, right? It was about like, we're not just going to put like heavy breathing and licking sounds on the radio because that's not going to be super sexy to listen to maybe to do, but not to listen to. Um, and we were curious about how you tell that sexy story through sound in a way that like wasn't spit. So answer that. I'm curious for your work as a, as a musician and as a, a sound designer and, 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 you know, world builder here. Why, why was this festival interesting to you?
0: Um, I I don't know entirely about the festival in general, but this um this uh this script um I was really happy to be put with this project. Um, it was kind of just by chance. I was recommended by a professor and friend of mine, uh, Matt Rogalski. Um, and yeah, he just recommended me for the the festival, and I'm so glad I got put with this project because I do think it's a a really fun script, and it's something that um isn't too typical of theater, I think.
2: Um, yeah. One of my I, favorite. Oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead.
0: Was that the question? I, I forgot what the question was.
2: <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, I'm kind of also curious, you know, when Matt recommended you to do this festival, Matt said, answer, you want to get it on this, it's a radio theater festival. What, what about it, wanted, like what, what made you want to do that?
0: Oh, it was just an opportunity. You know, like, I just like to say yes to things. Um, And it's, uh, just sounded like a cool idea. Just a good way to get out there. You
2: know, that's good. I also like to say yes to things. Uh, so then I'm curious, you know, we're going to talk a a little bit about the content of this piece, but this interview is airing before the show. So we have, we're all going to try to not spoil anything, um, but before we shift into the content, I wanna keep talking a little bit more about process. And Maddie, I know you've spoken about, you, you know, you've done artistic directing in town and you've done a lot of directing of musicals, and you're also an actor. The thing about this show is that, you know, we started rehearsing in March, April, right as the pandemic hit. So I'm kind of curious, there's a little bit of a double whammy question here, which is how did, how did directing in radio theater change the role of director? Part two, how did directing in a pandemic change the role of director? Yeah, it was kind of the
3: perfect kind of project to be working on when this all went down. Um, Because initially I I had planned to approach this in a very similar way in terms of the rehearsal process, Um, really like rely on my roots in theater um, to approach it that way. But then the pandemic hit and so all of our rehearsals ended up happening over phone calls and Zoom, which lent itself really well to what we were actually doing and, and focusing just on the audio aspect. Still doing the character work and um, familiarizing everyone with the, the same base and world that we were working in. Um, but then sort of having this great opportunity to just, Focus on things that weren't physical, um, and then even the recording process was great. We had separate rooms. We had all of this occasion for social distancing and and keeping everything really safe. Um, and then, honestly, the majority of my work ended up happening in the editing process, which was really interesting because before this, we we'd always I'd always worked with live performance. So you do all of this prep work and then it's sort of in the actor's hands once the show is open. But I got to be such a control freak here and be really nitpicky. The actors gave me all of this great content and then Enzer and I just went off and completely dissected it and and found the great pieces that went together. Um, And that that was really fun.
2: Yeah, you can, you know, and you can really hear, I love what you're saying about like, you know, some of the distance allowed you to buckle down harder in the work that you were trying to do. Because, you know, when I, when I listened to the first cut of this piece, I was, Richa, this is for you, you haven't been in Kingston for a while. So when I listened to the first cut of your play, I was lying on my back in the grass at City Park and um, it was like middle of summer. And I had this image at one point of, you know, one of the very emotional scenes that I'm not gonna spoil, but of these voices of these two women, kind of in one of those like cool spiral wind things above me and around me where I was in the park. And I can totally hear that, you know, if you can't get that close to one another in real life, you have to find a way to make that alchemy with your voice. And I think that you folks like from writing to directing to designing really hit that out of the park. So, uh, that's really, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised Maddie that you felt like, you know, in a weird way you were kind of handed circumstance to make this play exactly, exactly what it is. So Richard, did anything change for you from like being a playwright pre pandemic to being a playwright now uh, on this show specifically, is there any kind of, closeness or more distance? Cause I know you're also joining us from Toronto.
1: It is interesting to join from Toronto. Uh, I wrote this show in Toronto, uh, about Kingston. It was, um, it was very much a piece of mourning for me, both in having left Kingston, um, and, and knowing that I every, everything I've written for the past year and a half since I've left Kingston has been set in Kingston. I, I can't stop doing that. Um, and, and, I tried, I tried really hard to put something in High Park and it just kept ending up being Skeleton Park, uh, which the high, the people at High Park didn't like. <laughs> they kept telling me to stop doing that. Um, it's also a piece that is, um, and this is something that I don't think I've, I've said to anyone, but was a, is a retelling of a really bad thing that happened to me. Um, I had a, a very specific reason that I had to leave Kingston and the story of this show mirrors or, or is a, a, a sort of abstract retelling of this, this moment that changed my life, this, or this series of moments that changed my life. And since then, of course, there's been a pandemic, um, but I've also had a year and a half of space, of growing, of falling in love with someone else, of moving to a new apartment, of being in a new city, of um, growing this entire new life beside the show. So having worked on it, written it a, a year and a half ago, and then reading back on it, I'm like, did I say that? What was I thinking when I said that? What does what does that mean? Uh, and I find myself having to unpack my own metaphors that I wrote into it. Um, and interestingly enough, the weirdest thing that's happened to me is I was really into seasonal vegetables and fruits in this show, and uh, when you listen to it, you'll 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 see where i where i was in my life in my eating at that time and the pandemic being uh as it did with a lot of us forced me into gardening and community gardening and i became a tree picker part time uh and i spent the past the past couple of months really just like hands in the dirt getting into gardening and opening up all of these things that I didn't even realize I was saying with my weird gay, lesbian, uh, uh, vegetable metaphors last year. Um, I found myself like sitting in the sun, looking at tomatoes and getting turned on. And, (laughs) um,
2: this is, that is truly the gift that keeps on giving Risha. (laughs) That's it. You hit, you got it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm I'm blessed enough now to to be surrounded by both uh, a bounty of beautiful. It's it's fall right now, and I have a bunch of beautiful Thanksgiving treats and vegetables and squash and garden things from me and my partner's garden, but also all of the the gorgeous things that we've canned over the year. Um, sitting in the kitchen, and and I, I found myself like coming back and and realizing that I had I don't know predicted my changing perspectives um or, or maybe foretold them in um in the writing of this show
2: oh gosh that's so beautiful risha like i just want to say two first uh thank you thank you for being so uh like open and vulnerable and brave to share this piece with us I think you know as soon as Marisha applied with this show I was like I love this play can we make 10 you know so thank you and I I really hope that the the piece does honor to your to your memory and to to what you so vulnerably kind of cracked open for the world to listen to so I feel super grateful to to be witness to that
1: you're making it sound like it's more than just about vegetable sex metaphors. Like hot, sexy
2: vegetables, um, like
1: it's—it's it's, it's just vegetable sex metaphors. That's that's what it is. <laughs> we'll
2: leave that to the people to decide. <laughs> so, how about you, answer? So, what happens? You get, you know, Matt Rogalski said you want to do this weird thing. You said yes. You get a play in your inbox. You're told to read the play. When you first read "A Strong Girl," you first encountered these sexy vegetables. What was something that you knew you had to capture as a sound designer in this piece?
0: Um, <clears throat> mainly the, the sexy vegetables. I wanted that to come through a lot. Um, th- that was like first and foremost, but uh, aside from that, it was just like the world. Uh, like the first thing I noticed was that it's like, okay, this isn't modern day, it's 1800s. Like how do I uh, make it sound like the 1800s? Um, So just, you know, like when they look outside, it's like horse carriage or whatever. Um,
2: One of my favorite things that I think you've done so beautifully in this piece as a designer is you've made a real world and, you know, listeners, when you hear it, you'll understand. You've made a real world full of material things but you've also really captured a lot of this kind of internal, external, internal, external conversation. And I was amazed at how gracefully you did that because that was that was no easy feat. So, you know, how, how did you, what kind of tools did you bring as a sound designer to communicate not even just the old timey world, but also the 50 worlds inside that world that Risha has written
0: for you? Okay, yeah, thank you for so eloquently segwaying me into that. Um, Yeah. No, I, that was another thing when I read through it, I realized like some of the dialogue is like, okay, they're not, they're clearly not talking to each other here. This is internal, you know, so there needed to be a way to separate um, their thoughts from what they're sharing with each other. And um, like, there needed to be a way to underscore some of the more intimate times with the vegetables and whatever. Um, So, yeah. And sometimes I broke the rules, like, even though it's set in the past, like, um, uh, I decided like, okay, so this, this emotion, I feel I can best, um, relay through a synth. Um, and it's like, they didn't have synths back then, but that's, that's what I know. And I feel like it sounds pretty good. So, you know, stuff like that. It it was more based on emotion than on, um, like time period. And as well, um, before I say anything else, I want to mention that Maddie was fabulous and, uh, She, she very much had a vision for every part of it. So there was a lot of her voice that went in there. So she helped a lot.
2: Did you predict, like talk about me giving you segues, you just gave me the perfect one, which is next thing I want to talk about was collaborating in this moment, right? Like we are theater folks or musician folks, and we're used to getting our group together in some sort of room and, making something together. So I'm kind of curious if the three of you could speak to what what it felt like to actually collaborate on a piece. You know, Risha, we've been working on this piece. You know, you submitted it uh, last fall, maybe last summer, and we've been in conversation since then. So you can kind of choose to talk about that moment or the, or the show creation itself if you want to start.
1: Um, I was uh, maybe a little bit more uh, really cruel to answer and Maddie in that I wrote this beautiful thing and then I just called my own work beautiful uh, wrote this thing <laughs> and then sort of sent it away to them and said here deal with this uh, like the the problems of that I that I put into the script of, of things like there are these these moments of interiority and exteriority ramming against each other with with no signifiers that I wrote in because because I didn't know how to solve that problem um, so I, I did really just put a lot of trust into Ensor and, uh, and Maddie and, um, and I, I totally had, I had no problem with that. We had this one wonderful phone conversation when, when Maddie first signed on. Uh, I remember her asking me some, uh, to, to break down some lesbian slang that I had thrown into the character descriptions. Uh, I think it was like chapstick lesbian or like, do you listen to girl in red or something that I had, I had thrown in there that, uh, Maddie hadn't heard before um and then hearing her 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 take on after having read it maybe just once uh I was totally totally cool to just pass it away and say do something with this I don't know answer it figure it out um so I unfortunately was not very collaborative in that part of the process
2: do you think Risha are you often a playwright that works like that? Are you often a playwright who says, you know, who wants to oh, write absolutely. it and wants to,
1: yeah, you are. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I'm not nice to work with in that sense. <laughs> I think. I'm, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I, th- I think that it, it's it's nice uh, to to say, I don't know the answer to this. I can't figure this part out. Uh, here's my idea. Take it, do something with it. Um, and, and let other people, give other people just the room to, to, run away and bring their own things to it. Um, but I definitely have, uh, because I'm maybe so drawn to, to the world of, of radio theater and I'm, I'm a poet as well as a playwright. I'm not very grounded in, oh, this is something we can actually do versus just, this is what I have in my head. And I, I often have brought things to directors and said okay and then we're gonna and then everything explodes and we kill everyone in the audience and they fly out of the ceiling and there's pigs random pigs and uh my directors say like we we can't we have five dollars we can't do this uh and i i i have i don't care i just figured out i don't know this is what i want If if you you can answer this problem however you want
2: Although see, I would, I would totally disagree with you and say that is exactly the kind of playwright that I want to work with because it's, it's this acknowledgement that like that we 10 should work brains, together more. <laughs> yes, we should. But it's, you know, it's acknowledgement that like 10 brains are better than one, right. Of like, you're going to create a world. And even if you have such a specific detailed vision, everybody else's detailed visions are only going to make it richer and more complicated and maybe uglier or maybe more beautiful, but those are all necessary complications, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it's about creating your, your deep, rich vision, like you said, but then not, not sticking to it and feeling okay by just giving that to someone else. And if they reject parts of it in favor of something else that, that realizing that, oh, that is a valid artistic decision. I don't have to control everything. Yes, Theater school did teach me that, teach me one thing. So thanks Queens drama.
2: (laughs) I agree with you, though. I agree with you. Like, I've always been part of the reason I gravitated towards site-specific theater. And, you know, I would say that this is site-specific theater because it's on the radio. um, But is because I love surrendering a little bit to the unprecious. I love surrendering a little bit to, like, well, this might not work or, well... I don't know how to make everything explode but we'll try this like I quite like surrendering a little bit to that and I think that's what really drew me to this process I said I'd I'd never made a radio play before but I'm like hmm seems weird I'm in so yeah I love it so how about you Maddie what uh collaborating in this moment what did that look like for you
3: well, it was a lot of me saying really incoherent things to Enzer and hoping that he would just understand. A lot of me being like, "I think this is what a sink would sound like in those times," or getting as specific as, um, "Okay, that that door closing there was great, except for that doesn't sound like this character's door, so I'm gonna need you to get a different one there." It was a lot of meetings like that um but Enzo was really great about all of it and I actually um it was very liberating again with the format of radio theatre is you can have all of these ridiculous things happen and not have to worry about your budget you don't have to worry about actually getting that very specific door there or conveying certain moments that you know um if we'd done it in a rehearsal hall it would actually be quite dangerous in, in this. It's just a matter of um, figuring out what item to drop on the floor to make the sound you're looking for, you know? Um, so in that way, Risha, I think you found your art form here. <laughs> um, pigs coming in would be no problem, except for Enzer, maybe.
0: Um, oh, I'd love to do pigs.
3: <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and actually collaborating over, over Zoom and phone calls, um, it made for quite an interesting atmosphere. You know, everybody, the actors were just at home where they were comfortable. Um, and I think that got a, a very different performance um, than if we'd been meeting up in public spaces to do rehearsals and, and things like that. Um, I think it made everyone's process very personal when it came to this project, um, very indicative of what each person was going through during this pandemic and channeling it into art. Um, oftentimes, we'd we'd have a rehearsal, and everyone would just be so relieved to be doing something that felt normal-ish again, um, and to be it, everyone just felt really lucky to be able to have a project
2: like this and. That was nice. Gosh, Maddie, you bring up such an interesting point with this. Like the, it made the process very personal and I never even thought about this, but if all of the artists recorded and made their work in their plate and their you know, in their spaces where they were sheltering during the pandemic, there's also an acknowledgement that everybody's going to be listening to it that way too, right? Like we're not asking anyone to come anywhere. There's no building to witness this in right like I would imagine everybody's listening to this you know on their phone in their bed like commuting biking or sitting in their living room with their parents or something like that there's a kind of a real personal touch both <laughs> just shaking her head <laughs> oh, there's a personal touch both in the go ahead go ahead sorry I just don't listen to it with your parents <laughs> depends how cool, like depends how awesome and like reasonable not reasonable I'm like depends how gosh listen to it with your parents that's actually your assignment
1: yeah yeah go ahead i'm up for it pick up shit
2: oh i love it but yeah no i'm very very curious in like i think you bring up such a good point about this personal in 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 putting out and in receiving so so interesting how about you answer so this is your first kind of step into making radio drama what was it like collaborating for first time ever
0: um well, I think I got good people to collaborate with for my first time. They're like super helpful. Um, yeah, I collaborated with my parents as well, had them listen to it, make sure it sounded good. Um, yeah, I don't know, just, um, I, I pretty much mostly just collaborated with Maddie. Um, but uh, in all of our meetings, she she always knew like exactly what she wanted and was like, I don't know, I thought she was pretty clear about it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear she uh, feels good about it, I guess. I don't know.
2: <laughs> One of the things I'm so interested in, in sound design and radio theater and Maddie brought it up too, is the fact that this door might not actually sound like a door or like this sink, even though it's a real recorded sink, for some reason, when you listen to it, it doesn't sound like a sink. One of the other sound designers was telling me that it happened with crickets that they couldn't figure out how to make the sound of constant crickets not sound like night. And it was like, it seems like there's crickets during the day and we all know this, but there's kind of something about the radio drama that forces you to be like, does the sink sound Yeah. Enough?
0: No, the, there is a lot of that. Like I, I did find that like certain sounds, I would get the actual sound and I was like, wait, the, the heck, that doesn't sound like it. So I'd have to do something else. And it's like, yeah, that's it. Um, but no, we have that, that same issue as well, where, um, for for one of the scenes, it was daytime. And I just had a, I put together like a, a daytime soundscape. And um, when Maddie was listening to it, she she noticed, she's like, kind of sounds like nighttime. And it was just cause there were crickets in it. Um, so yeah, it happens.
2: It happens, it happens. So before we move on and talk a little bit more about the content, I'm, I just wanna, you know end this little section on the process with talking about dreams and opportunities, you know, like I really, I don't know if you folks have struggled with this too, but the pandemic has um, really illuminated a lot of really problematic structures that have always been around, right? Like none of this stuff that we're thinking about is new. Um, It's all, all realities that have been around for a long time. And I'm curious if the three of you have any kind of, dreams for the theater sector as we move through this moment. And I know that can kind of heavy, carry on heavy a little bit, but maybe we can start with Risha because Risha already makes a lot of uh, audio drama. And, you know, I'm curious about what you kind of see in the, in the future. Uh, I've been fascinated by the
1: innovations. I don't know if that's the right word, but the, the new, new stuff that artists are doing with restrictions um, in, in the pandemic. I think a lot of people Um, gave up and then realized, oh no, 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 I can't give up and started doing weird things and strange things and things that weren't working. And it was really interesting to watch and and, and to continue to watch the idea of liveness begin to divorce herself from the idea of here-ness and right in front of you-ness and and I, I think that's already been happening uh but the pandemic has accelerated that um and and that's definitely one of the things that we're going to be able to look back on this time and and point to and say oh that that moment in history made things in our art form better um there's there's a lot of there's a lot of gray clouds a, a, over the theater sector right now um but there's there's a lot of artists doing really new interesting fun stuff and um we're going to just see more of that it's that's not going to stop when we can go back to theater or go back to theater in person um we're we're gonna we're gonna keep that rolling
2: and i mean i think you're totally right besides innovative content i think that this pandemic has also done a lot of work in the access department. I know a lot of folks who are um, artists with disabilities who for a long time have been trying to argue like, hey, can I do this from my house? Or hey, can I do this this way? And lots of impositions from the sector saying like, no, no, that's not the way things work. But then all of a sudden when the pandemic hit, everyone could just so easily do everything from their homes. And I think I, I, like you, Risha, really hope that we carry those leaps that we've made or steps or tumbles, you know, with us as we, as we go, as we go forward. One of my favorite things about this festival is it's a week of free theater, right? Like it's three hours of free programming every night. That's also accessible. You know, you just got to turn on your radio. It's pretty, even for the other kinds of innovations, the sector is doing. It's a pretty accessible um, form I think to engage with. So how about you Maddie? What, what has this pandemic kind of shown you that we you hope we carry with us um, as artists out of this moment
3: yeah similar to what's already been said, I think it's drawn attention to the fact that a lot of theater has been very elitist up till this point um, the idea that that certain companies are having to go bankrupt now without uh, when they can no longer charge these incredible ticket prices and and make the the art that they're showing about this big spectacle, and um just now realizing that that's not sustainable and and by doing things like the the national theater live broadcasts um we're incredible and and now i'm able to discuss these brilliant pieces of Theater with a much larger group of people than I would have been able to before. If I'd, say, seen it live, and then the most I can do is say, take my word for it, it was really great. Not that you could go to England to see it, but trust me, you know, it's it's this whole new way of, of sharing these experiences um, in a way that I think could help theatre really come back to life in a way and become a more popular medium
2: yes we are the zombie medium yes let us back uh how about you answer what any any and you know it can kind of be specific to art or it can be kind of more general to your life what have you seen this summer that you want to carry with you
0: okay cool yeah i I was going to start by saying i'm i'm not quite as in touch with the theater scene as you guys but um I have certainly seen changes, um, and I appreciate all your guys's positivity and optimism. That's awesome. Um, I, I do think that art uh, has a very important place, and even if it's difficult, we're going to have to find a way to make it heard and seen because uh, it is important. And like from from what I've seen, I know from like the music sector, um, my my hometown band, the Whitby Brass Band, reached out to me, and they were like, "Hey, we're going to do a." like a recorded video. So I was able to play with them uh, for the first time in like a while, cause I j- could just do it from my home and just like listen to them in my headset and uh, just play along with them. And then we just stacked it all in video. Um, and there have certainly been missteps there too. Like, you know, when it started, uh, they are like trying to do Skype with each other and that's not gonna work. Um, just like latency, but um, yeah, it, it it needs a space to grow and if we can't find it, we'll make it, so.
2: Yes, one of the other conversations I had, I can't remember which artist told me, but I said like, you know, what would you say to everyone uh, who is consuming art right now in this moment of a pandemic? And someone said, be patient, right? Be patient. Like I think the innovations that Risha is talking about gonna be some weird zoom plays along the way it's gonna be a little derpy um but we figured it out before we'll figure it out again you know and you know I'm speaking from a place of immense privilege as a as a white like straight passing woman in Kingston um I'm able to make my own work in a way here which I know a lot of other artists can't so Um, That kind of innovation, I think, comes with a sense of privilege, too. So, you know, paired with what Maddie suggested about this taking the elitism away, I think it's perfect alchemy. So then, you know, before, again, we just loop back to the content, I want to say how can folks that aren't artists support artists, in your opinion? So what does that look like? How does, you know, someone's tuning into the shortwave theater festival, and they are like, I don't wanna go, I don't wanna watch these companies go bankrupt, like Maddie said. What would you say to folks who are looking to support the art scene, uh, but don't know where to start? Maybe we'll start with Maddie this time.
3: Oh no, that's honestly a really great question. Um, And I think it's, the answer to it is, it's sort of changing with every day. And I think artists are letting us know. Um, you know we are. You can. A, a lot of times, you can. You can follow these groups that you care about, and they they are working to support themselves, and they they are putting on these events and these fundraisers um, to tell the public exactly what they need. So um, honestly, if you if you have a group you care about, just listening to them um is a good way to start um yeah yeah otherwise it's a big it's a big dilemma so i don't have a lot of answers there about you answer do you have anything any ideas
0: um yeah no i think she said it very well um the uh from what i've seen like a lot of artists they will tell you like how you can help them or if you aren't sure like you could even reach out to them i guess but um yeah just pay attention, like. Uh, I know like visual artists, a lot of them have like Patreons or whatever. Um, So, yeah.
2: And Risha, do you have any, any answers to us saving the art sector?
0: My answer is
1: very arts administration biased. Uh, Just go vote, go research what your candidates are saying. Uh, We, it's very, Canada is, uh, every Canadian artist is absolutely reliant on the government at, at, all levels um, in Ontario specifically the, the OAC the Ontario Arts Council has been uh, not good to us recently and uh, and our, art, our our funding at all levels uh, and, and Toronto included um, has not been able to support artists through this crisis um, there's a lot of great resources out there Arts vote is run by uh, by a company out in uh, somewhere in Toronto. Uh, An arts vote breaks down every politician's platform uh, come election season, so you can check out like what their sort of grade is in, in what they support uh, artistically but um, the, po- the political landscape of, of Canadian artists, uh, the Canadian artists reside in is so tied to their well being as artists right now it's just the nature of, of where we are. Um, so, pay attention, pay attention to what your politicians are saying and, and vote and lobby and protest and write letters.
2: That's a great point, Risha. You're so right. It's like, and I, I just thought as you're saying that, I'm like, we need an arts vote here in Kingston. It's the same thing here in municipally, talk to your counselors. Um, Risha's really right, and just for folks that are listening without context, most artists in this country, and from my experience being a producer in Kingston, rely very heavily on government grants. We write applications to grants to justify the work that we're doing. Um, so that means that, like Risha said, we're really at the whim. If you know, we all know that when budget cuts come, arts are usually very close to that chopping block. So, that kind of advocacy work and policy work that Risha's talking about is crucial, and also often really well received. Like in Kingston, I've been doing some advocacy work and I call the city councilors and although maybe they pretend like they don't know the plight of artists, the conversation is usually really open. I, I never get a voicemail. I always get to talk to someone. And again, that's from a place of privilege and living in a smaller town. Um, but I think what Risha's asking or Risha's offering is also a little, uh, it seems really scary, but it's totally doable and you can do it listeners. If you know how
1: to write an email, you can email your counselor. They, and they, they know, they know that the good that artists bring to a community well outweighs what, uh, what it costs for us to support artists. And, and it's not just that they're handing out free money to artists. It's all sorts of different things. So many artists live below the poverty line and and rely on social services and, and housing and things Mm -hmm. like CERB. CERB was essential for every single artist during the pandemic. Um, So it's, it's not even specifically grants and, and, things that are supporting them in their work as artists. It's just being able to maintain that level of dignity in their lives. Uh, The the political and the artistic are really tied in this moment in in Canada specifically.
2: And CERB is a good, it's a good news story too, because I know some of the artists that were involved in that and it was people calling politicians that made like the first round of CERB happen as quickly as it did was it was just what Risha is saying that we should continue to do. Um, And then we had CERB out of it. So it was great. So then I'm curious, you know, besides the garbage fire that is 2020, um, all of the things, you know, we talked about the process of making this show. I want to talk a little bit about the content. And like, like you have heard in this conversation and, you know, Risha knows and Maddie knows from the beginning, this is a piece I'm really, really grateful and moved to have in the festival. I think this lesbian love story is exactly what CFRC Radio needs. Um, and I'm curious from all three of your perspectives but we'll start with Risha about you know what did the tools look like for capturing this love story this lesbian love story were there did you have different kind of tools in your hand was same kind of tools how did you capture the intimacy um of this these two women so effectively through radio drama
1: uh I have a lot of experience with lesbian love um there's there's a, there's some lines that are lines that are straight off of my Tinder conversation. Yes. Um, I, I did mention that this, this particular story is a retelling of something that happened to me and, and how, uh, so that w- that was a huge sort of place to just literally pull things out of. Um, it's, uh, I have done a lot of work in museums and being a historical interpreter. So I have, these lived experiences of, of pretending to be a woman in the 1840s out gardening. And uh, I, I called up some of my friends from from those times and would say, like, what's what's a really weird gardening tool that would fit in this line right here? Like, it needs to be, like, three syllables long. And and they'd be like, oh, uh, a, a, a pocolator, do a pocolator. And uh, I don't think pocolator made it into the final script. But um, so I, I was able to draw on both my own... Plethora of my my own personal canon of lesbian lines, uh, as well as my my extensive network of strange garden lesbians.
2: I want an extensive network of strange garden lesbians. How do I get? You're part of the
1: network of garden lesbians. Yes, sure.
2: But that's what I was gonna say, though. It's like you know, as a queer woman too, uh, one of the things that I loved so much about this piece was it was not fetishized. It was hot, sexy, gay love that was not through a peephole and it was not voyeuristic. It was like really sexy in a way that I think with so many lesbian stories um, rejected the kind of fetishization that I think has like plagued the, you know, lesbian narrative. And I think that you should be so fucking proud of, oh no, Dinah, what time is that? I'm going to have to say, I swore at this time, you should be so proud of that, of capturing that in this piece.
0: Mm. Thank you.
2: Uh, Maddie so I'm curious you know you have this play it's handed to you it's now you're holding it in your little hat and I don't know what size your hands are you're holding it in your hands and you're gonna stage it and it's a it's a lesbian love story what did you what did you bring uh to make this you know as beautiful and sentimental as, as you did?
3: Yeah um when I was first told there was a uh, lesbian sex scene in here I was like Oh dear! And then um, I read it, and it was just so tastefully done, and there was so much honesty in it, and and the way that it's it's written out, I wasn't worried about like, <laughs> it it didn't call for any like weird sound effects to happen or anything like that. It was just, um, and the listeners will hear it, um, but it was it was just so poetic. Um, And so approaching it, it it did just feel like the the next step in a love story, um, which I am very comfortable with. And the actors I was working with um, were were both really mature about it too, and um, just approached the work um, with with so much vulnerability uh, that made it really a, a lovely process with that um and then the rest of the story in general is just so so light and well the first bit <laughs> um
0: no spoilers no
3: spoilers no spoilers i mean what who knows what the tone is oh, All <laughs> light <laughs> yeah Aww.
0: yeah
3: yeah but um yeah it was just a, a matter of relying on the text
2: i think that might be it that might be part of it is that there are the poetics of this piece um it it is extremely poetic. And these two actors, Sophie and Tracy pulled out some stops. It's really remarkable work from those two. Um, and I think the poetics of, of this, uh, exchange and this like love sentiment, sex, it's just like, it really carries through the airwaves. Oh my gosh. So excited. Uh, and sir. So finally, you know, like what that, you know, the, these really extremely intimate moments, um, what was it like being kind of like the the painter of that landscape a little bit in a way
0: um well uh specifically the the intimate moments i uh tried to make them um like as you've said like not fetishized or like overly sexualized and but then not on the other end just like i didn't want them to be just like nothing I, like I, I tried to add like a little bit. So it's just like understated, um, just to give it like some, some tenderness, but not like cheesy, I guess.
2: Yes, understated is also an issue. It's like the gals being pals moment. Like these two ladies are just such good friends. No, wrong. So last question before we wrap it up, we only got a few more minutes. If this piece had any advice for 2020, What would it be? What have you learned from this play um, itself, not the process, the play itself that you wanna carry with you? Um, One of the things that I'll start with is that I wanted to say to all of you is that this piece really reminds you that there are rewards and risks of being brave. And I don't want to say like just being yourself. Cause that sounds a little bit like, eh. I mean, brave, like in taking what you want and leaning into desire, there will always be risk and reward in that pursuit of desire. Um, and I think that's a really important lesson to carry with you in a, in a stagnant moment, like, like kind of, I feel 2020. So I will, who wants to answer it first this time? Wild card. Anybody? is saying no. Ed's saying no. Maddie, you're first. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I guess
3: the, the way that I've connected with it during this time is the idea that um, tragedy and these intense moments of sadness, a lot of time are out of our control. They can come out of nowhere. You can be Living your lovely life one day and then the next day there's a pandemic and there's suddenly all of these factors that you can't control. So um, really just focusing on those good things and um, what we can control and the, the lovely gardening moments of life. Um, those are what we, we should be doing our best when we can to focus on. Uh, Despite the tragedy that's going on around us,
2: so Maddie says, "Eat those berries. Eat them. Eat those berries." Risha, answer. Anybody feeling inspired?
1: Yeah, I like the idea of eating berries.
2: I think that's. (laughs) I mean, me too. We're almost out. It. The bummer is though we're like just sneak past berry season, so we'll have to find another yonic vegetable that keeps us happy till spring. Oh, how about you, Risha? What what lesson have you, you know, you wrote this piece. What have you carried with, what have you carried with you through 2020 from it?
1: Yeah. What did, what did it give me? I, um, I'm not sure. Something so small and, and strange that I don't think it can be articulated.
2: Oh, that's special. It, yeah. How about
0: you answer? Well, I guess the closest thing I could come up with was similar to Maddie's. Um, just yeah, like enjoy the present. Um, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, live each day like it's your last. All that good stuff.
2: Yes. So final moment here. I think that's it. That's <laughs> eat your fruits and eat veggies. Your fruits and veggies. Yes. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. So final moment here. This is shameless plug time and this shameless plug is whatever thing you feel like plugging. Maybe it's something that you've read recently that you're just loving something that you're working on. That's really exciting you. Something that you're listening to. Um, I can start, I'm reading a lot of disability justice right now and a lot of books on care work and about how um, access and care and what it really means to be community carers for one another uh, can really actually serve as a map to getting through a crisis. Um, So that's making me feel really good lately. So let's start with Ensor, because you're already unmuted. What's your shameless plug moment?
0: Sure, Um, (laughs) follow Queen Squirrel Watching Club. Uh, I don't, I mean, is that okay?
2: Yes. What is it? Tell us more.
0: Okay, great. Um, it's a club dedicated to watching squirrels and squirrel content um, based at Queens. Um, I do the newsletter. We have an Instagram, a Facebook, and a newsletter, which you should definitely sign up for. Um, and we're great. It's like just a bit of positivity like all the time, uh, which is much needed right now, I think. So, yeah.
2: I would love to get a squirrel newsletter in my inbox. So I will definitely be doing Please. that. Yeah. Queens Squirrel Watching Club?
0: Yes. Q-Swick.
2: Yeah. Q-Swick. Yes. And in the classic Queens world, <laughs> you got know, short form. I love it. Uh, okay. So Maddie, how about you? Shameless plug moment.
3: Oh my gosh. I wish I had something that wonderful to shamelessly plug. Um, I'm just doing a lot of learning right now. Uh, but I did jump on the Schitt's Creek bandwagon and it is delightful wonderful Canadian content highly recommend
2: yeah that's actually the only way I'm getting through this pandemic is just like role-playing as um oh my god now I can't remember her name oh my god Moira I role play as Moira when I'm feeling exceptionally down and it makes me feel much better. It's really satisfying to say it COVID in the same way that she says David. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. I recommend you doing that if you, if anybody needs to pick me up. Risha, how about you, shameless plug, have at her.
1: I have an album coming out eventually when I finish editing it and feel like it's a proper thing. So I'll let y'all know about that on my Instagram, uh, Risha underscore and, uh, cause I am bad at social media. Um, but keeping with the fruits and vegetable topic, uh, I'm in Toronto right now. Um, I don't know what the Kingston equivalent to this would be, but Toronto is currently facing an enormous problem with food scarcity and, uh, problems with people in, uh, food deserts and low-income communities having access to fresh fruits and vegetables and seasonal fruits and vegetables, uh, two great organizations that are, are kind of working together that, that work to solve this problem are Food Share TO, which is a huge blanket, a huge umbrella organization that captures a lot of different uh, people doing awesome work. Uh, Not Far From The Tree, which is a not-for-profit organization that picks fruit trees in uh, the city that otherwise would go unpicked and donates them to uh, various organizations that need fresh fruit. And um, my personal favorite is Building Roots TO, which Building Roots works in Moss Park and takes uh, veggies from community gardens in Ashbridge estate and Allen gardens and other places around and distributes them to people in community housing projects who do would otherwise not have access to fresh fruits and veggies in the middle of a fruit, food desert in Moss park, uh, which is like right across the street from Kim's convenience. If we want to throw in the, the the CBC comedy aspect of that, but yeah, I don't know what the, what the, who, it, who it is in, in Kingston that is working to fight, um, fight food insecurity but find out who that is and support
2: them please yeah I think in Kingston good folks to Mm -hmm. reach or like look into is Mutual Aid Cataraqui Mutual Aid Kingston Loving Spoonful Okay, they do some of that work um but yeah, definitely mutual aid. Uh, and thank you for telling us about some of the other organizations in Toronto. Because it's also, I don't know if you folks have found this from being in Kingston, is every time tell- someone tells me about something that exists in Toronto and it doesn't ex- exist in Kingston, all it does is make me want to like make <laughs> find folks to make this happen with. So thank you, Risha. So that is it. That's our conversation with some of the artists from A Strong Girl. Uh, premiering, world world premiering at the CFRC and Cellar Door Project Shortwave Theatre Festival. The three of you, Maddie, Risha, and Zur, thank you so much for joining me for this hour of conversation. It just made me love you more, uh, and I'm, I'm so grateful that this killer piece is in the festival.
0: Thank you for having us.